This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by CastBox. CastBox is my platform of choice when it comes to listening to podcasts, and it has been for over the past three years. I've been listening to podcasts exclusively on CastBox. I find it to be the most aesthetically pleasing and the most organized podcast app, and it seems a lot of other people do as well, with over 85,000 reviews on the App Store, and an average rating of 4.8. You can download CastBox on iOS as well as Android. And when you do, go ahead and subscribe to the show there. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of Building Freedom. This is your host, Jordan Paris. I am hopped the heck up on caffeine right now. My 50 milligrams of caffeine, which for anyone who knows me, that's a freaking lot of caffeine for me because I really don't have it much. And man, is caffeine a psychoactive drug, a really potent psychoactive drug when you really don't have it very often. Anyhow, in this episode, we have Gabby Beckford. Gabby travels the world. She's a, a young gun like myself. She's 26 years old and been to over 30 countries and uh, does it long term, you know, like Dubai for three months and Mexico City for months at a time and all sorts of places. And on her Instagram and LinkedIn, her Instagram is Pax Light, like packing light, the expression at Pax Light. She teaches everyday people how they can travel the world as well, whether they have a job or they work for themselves. She teaches location, independence, freedom of location, and that is why we have her on Building Freedom today. A key element of Building Freedom, which I've only started exercising recently in my life, but I've had a plan to for many years, and man, it's just really, really exciting. And I wanted to share my excitement and enthusiasm about freedom of location here with you today. So again, you can find Gabby at Pax Light. You can find her on LinkedIn, Gabby Beckford, and her website is paxlight.com where she's got all sorts of resources to help you out with location independence. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Gabby Beckford. Gabby Beckford, welcome to Building Freedom. Pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Yeah. And as I uh, mentioned beforehand, I've been watching you from afar for a little bit. We met, I was actually speaking in a program and you were one of the people in that program. And and as I mentioned, you really just stuck out to me after the fact, right? Over the next, probably it's been two years now since we met there. Yeah. And uh, you've just, your journey has been fantastic to watch. It's really been a joy and uh, really excited to unpack that today, Gabby. I so appreciate that. I feel like you maybe have a better high level view of the things I've been doing because I've been in the weeds running around living it. You're location independent, and that's really <laughs> why you're here today. Such a big aspect of building freedom is location independence. I mean, if you're tied to a location, I would say that you're really not free. Definitely inhibits your your degrees of freedom, your level of freedom if you're tied to a location. And that's something that you're absolutely not. I see you traveling everywhere for long periods of time and uh, really intrigued by all that. Well, I'm curious, what's like the favorite place that you've been so far? Oh my gosh. Well, last year I was, last year was my first year as a full-time digital nomad. So 
I was international. I didn't come back to the U.S. except for maybe 10 days to get my vaccine and things like that. Um, so last year was was wild. I would say my favorite destination from last year was Cyprus, I think, surprisingly. Super quiet, super gorgeous, lots of Greek and Turkish history to see there. Hmm. I felt like I was in a folklore. <laughs> Cyprus, I've never actually... Is that Greece? What is, what is that? Yeah, so it's oh, actually okay. a tiny island off the coast of Greece and between Turkey. And there's, it's actually kind of split in between a Turkish territory and Greek territory. And it's a super complex place, but gorgeous. Nice. So I'm confused, actually. I mean, I'm kind of new to this journey. I don't know if you saw, but I took my first relatively long-term trip. I, I said that long-term is relative because most people's trips are three, four, seven days. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I went to Mexico for 35 days. I just got back last Ooh. week. And uh, that was good. There was a lot of lessons learned, a lot of things that you just have to figure out. And one of those things that you mentioned, oh, I was only back in the US for like 10 days. You, you mentioned that. That's actually a question that I have as it pertains to long-term travel. Like you do, you can't just be out and about out of the country forever. Is that right? Like we, we do have to come back at a certain point. <laughs> You know what? You and everyone else can do what their heart desires. No, nothing I think legally is bringing you back to U.S. soil unless you need to. I mean, even then, like I said, I just I came back. Uh, one of the big reasons I came back this year was to get my passport renewed and things. But you can do all of that abroad. There's nothing. There are tons of um, digital nomads and location independent workers and creators who don't come back and are still American citizens. Yeah. Nice. Okay. No, I, for some reason, I was under the impression that you did have to come back. I think where I got confused is, for example, like Mexico, and I think this is probably the standard in a lot of other places, like you can't be there in that in that particular country for more than 180 days. And at that point, my understanding is you have to like, you can't get your your visa renewed there. You actually have to go back you have to leave the country. And I don't know, it's a whole thing. I, do you know yeah, anything that, about that? Yeah. So you're completely right. In that capacity, as a tourist on a tourist visa, mm -hmm. there are most countries you can't stay for more than three months or 180 days, six months. But there are a lot more resources now, especially for digital nomads to stay for longer periods abroad or continue renewing those unique visas. And I mean, I guess potentially stay abroad forever unless you get, um, until you get residency visas, but there are things called digital nomad visas and remote work visas and remote work programs that are designed for digital nomads and location independent workers to stay past the confines of a visitor's visa. And I mean, have a lot more freedom and even there's a there's a digital nomad visa for Dubai where you get a U.S. Uh, a UAE United Arab Emirates residency card uh -huh. and you can use their healthcare system and things like that. You know it's crazy. You just made me remember this. I, I totally forgot. I had a dream literally last night. What? That my girlfriend and I were in Dubai and it was it was pretty vivid. This is like, the sign. Like we were we were there. Um, <laughs> and I one of the I remember being a little bit hesitant in my dream, a little bit fearful of, oh, I hear that Dubai isn't the safest place. And I remember thinking that in my dream and having a little bit of fear. You've been there actually, I know. So to just go on a tangent real quick, is that is that a real fear or is that just people spreading fear about Dubai like they do about Mexico and it's really not that bad? 
A hundred percent. I will say that Dubai is the safest city I've ever been to in my wow. life. In my life, and I've been a lot of places. Yeah, because I know that people say, especially for women, Dubai is not good. Yeah, you. I mean, that is the narrative of the media, and it. This is especially something I tell Americans. America uh, is not the safe haven that we think it is. And mm. if you can have a good time and travel in cities like L.A., New York, Miami, Chicago, Detroit, I would think it will shock you how uh, un eventful the rest of the world is as far as safety. So I love Dubai. I recommend it a lot for solo travelers. There's a lot of expats and digital nomads that live there. So that's always, you're always able to find a community that you want to find and highly recommend Dubai. I, yeah. I studied abroad there actually for a year. And just last year, I went back for three months working remotely there. Nice. Okay. So you were there for a year and that, that actually brings me back to just the visas that you were talking about. So for the average entrepreneur, average person, wannabe digital nomad like me, I guess I'd still call myself wannabe. I've only done one trip. <laughs> and so like a remote, there's remote work visas available for most, if not all countries that, that would be good for people like me. I would say half the countries, they're okay. relatively new and they have really exploded in development with the pandemic because people want to work remotely, right? Like this is the future of work. So I would say maybe that there's 176 countries, maybe close to uh, 50 programs that I maybe know of. And I'll list a few of them, Estonia, Iceland, Hawaii had a remote work program. And the reason that they have programs are to regulate tourism and their economies, right? So when you work remotely, you're bringing in outside money from your home country, from the US or from other places. And then you're able to spend that money on rent and living expenses and activities and stuff in that local country, which helps them. So by creating these programs that encourage people to bring their outside money and spend it in these communities, there are a lot of them in the Caribbean, Antigua and Barbuda have one. Yeah, you get to support and like bolster the local economy, which was important during the pandemic when tourism took such a hit to, to these economies. So mm -hmm. yeah, there are a lot of them and there are more and more of them come out every single day. I actually have a digital nomad visa ebook that I have gone through and added my personal notes about like where to find good Wi-Fi and what rent is like and finding communities and stuff and along with these digital nomad visa facts. Nice. They're hot. <laughs> Wi-Fi. Wi oh my uh, God. I, have you had a horror, horror stories with that yet? I'm sure. I don't know actually where in Mexico you went, but I'm sure you have some stories from your month in Mexico. Um, find I actually... I actually had the best Wi-Fi like on the face. Really? Of the yeah, and apparently she upgraded it like uh, they or Gignet, I think it was. They made upgrades to the system literally like the day I got there. It was really uh, oh my something God, the stars something alive. amazing. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, it was just as good as my eighty-five dollar a month Xfinity Wi-Fi at home. Fantastic. Yeah, in Mexico City, which is where I usually go when I work in Mexico, they I usually have no problems with Wi-Fi streaming and stuff like that. Uh, some places I have had horror stories with Wi-Fi. Jordan, just because mm. of the nature of the country, I was in like the desert, so yes. not great Wi-Fi. Going to be honest, the Wi-Fi hotspots didn't really hit. And let's say, yeah, outside of bigger cities, maybe in Cyprus, actually, though it was a like Grecian paradise, I felt like I was Athena and Apollo and stuff like that. The uh, infrastructure wasn't as strong, so I, I had to go to cafes and 
certain cafes only had really strong Wi-Fi. But really, with my phone plan and when I got local SIMs, I could get by almost everywhere. Nice. So I was in Israel. At You've been to Israel yet? I haven't. I haven't. You haven't. Well, you've been close. You've been right next to it, Jordan. Right next door, yeah. So I, I, I other way around for me, I remember climbing Masada, which right under that is the Dead Sea. And right across from the Dead Sea is literally Jordan. So I am at the top of Masada, which is like this kind of touristy mountain. There's like ruins there. It used to be like a, a, a fort of sorts where that's where one of the places they would like defend the border. I don't know. So it's like kind of outfitted as like a military type of place from thousands of years ago. Really cool. And so you're at the top of this and I was overlooking Jordan. I saw Jordan in the distance, the border of Jordan and, and then a little bit beyond. And I was like, ah, oh, that would be a really cool place to go. So I, and I do recall seeing you there. So that's actually really cool. <laughs> how, how long were you there? I was in Jordan for about, Three or four weeks, about a month. Okay. Yeah. So for that three, four weeks, you know, you don't really have a good Wi-Fi. I mean, how'd you get by with as far as, I mean, your whole thing is like remote work. You make money through remote work and that yeah. funds your travel. So, I mean, were you stressed at that point? Um. So I was there for three, four weeks. 10 days of that was with a press trip, you know, as a content creator and influencer, I do press trips. So 10 days of that was, that's why I was like in the desert and stuff running around. So luckily for that part, I didn't need to post live because I was living it, right? Creating the content. So in that way, I was good. And when I right. needed to post content or, you know, catch up on the other work, the other business that I had been not been doing for 10 days out in the wilderness, I went to Amman, which is the capital of the country. And I had no problems with Wi-Fi there. Absolutely metropolitan Wi-Fi absolutely everywhere. So that's when I just caught up. So I think time management and being really upfront with your availability, having like putting the out of office sign onto your emails is super important. And then just having a realistic expectation of when you will be able to get back to them and having help. I could not get by in my life without my virtual assistant, Taylor, yes. who I am in love with. She helps me so much. So when I was out, out of service, I would send her some tasks and like schedule emails through her and be like, okay, if they respond, say this. And if they don't respond, we're good. Um, and she just has saved my butt so many times. So even if you don't hire someone full-time or part-time and just have someone you can rely on to do quick tasks like that, it's a game changer. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Another curiosity question bouncing around. I, I heard you mention Mexico City. And again, another place I do recall seeing you at, I... We would love to go to Mexico City for the food. Mm -hmm. Is there just a lot of fear about that? Because I hear some terrible things about that. So much so that I, like it, it has scared us from going there. Yeah, that I'll say the way that people talk about city is similar to the way that they talk about Dubai, right? That I mean, statistically, it's not a great place for women, just based off the statistics that like there's a high murder rate there, and I mean, people talk about. On the news, when I was there, there was like a metro crash, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like the first time I was there, I was like, oh my gosh, there is so much going on here. Am I going to be okay? But much like people talk about, I don't know, New York City being a dangerous place. And then once you go, you realize how huge, huge New York City really is. And that just because something happens across the city 
really, which feels like miles and like lifetimes away, doesn't mean it's happening to you. And it's really based on, you know, having locals advice on where to go and where not to go and what to do at certain times and stuff like that. So I have had a fantastic experience every single time I've gone to Mexico city. And actually after that first month I spent there in May last year, I went back (laughs) three more times in the same year when I, when, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I felt like you did like what you do right now. I'm like, uh, I'm not going to go there unless I have to. If I have a layover there, I'm just going to sit like stay near the airport at the airport hotel. Like I'm not trying to get into trouble or drama. And then actually having been there, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many green spaces, huge, beautiful parks and green spaces. There are, is a park there, like their version of Central Park that is four times as big as Central Park in New York. And it's just as curated, just as beautiful. There's huge events there. There's a castle there. I mean, there's so much more to Mexico City than the headlines that yeah. make it abroad. Uh, I love it. And I actually, when I tell pe- people are like, Oh, do you ever want to get par- property abroad or live abroad? The first place I think of is Mexico city wow. because of the food, because of the culture, because of the, for me, I love the black uh, expat community they have there. Like it is a truly metropolitan international city. Love it. Very cool. Thank you. <laughs> now we will be going Give it a chance. without fear. Give it a chance. Oh yeah. More than a chance. <laughs> and I'll got tips for you. Just reach out. Very cool. So let's take this as a segue now, Gabby. I want to start to unpack your journey a little bit, how you got here, how you achieved this location independence where you pretty much never have to be anywhere. You're traveling the world, uh, been to dozens and dozens, several dozen countries and just living it up and something that I really admire. And I don't think I'm looking to really go to like, you know, 30 plus, 40 plus countries, which is around where you're at right now. I'm yeah. going to take it a little slower. I'll probably do like, you know, 15 to 20, but who knows? I could surprise myself. Mm. But I want to start to unpack this journey. From what I understand, you were going to school and you got a degree in engineering. Is that right? My Yeah. So my technical degree was in statistics and mathematics. And then I grabbed an engineering job after college. Okay. So what's your life plan while you're <laughs> going after these types of degrees? Um, I come from a first generation house. My dad was born in Jamaica and moved to New York when he was maybe eight years old. So if you're first generation listening to this, you know that the options in life are to become a doctor, engineer, or somehow the president. So I chose engineer because, I mean, I liked engineering, really. I, I actually went into college as a biomedical engineering major and switched to statistics, but I loved, the, I love science. I love learning. I love the work of it. But the lifestyle was a huge issue for me. And when you talk about building freedom, a lot of that has to do with your, like where you spend your time and like how, like the environment that you're in every day, right? And how that affects your mental health and your happiness. And a lot of engineers work in windowless rooms. I'm not going to lie. They work in basements and they have to get PhDs, which takes a long time and kind of cuts into what I believe are my favorite years. Like, (laughs) so my plan going into college was just to do the smart thing. Like I'm going to start off doing the smart thing and see where it goes. And then halfway through college, I mean, I went to Virginia Commonwealth University, which is a university of 30,000 people in Virginia. And I just met so many people from different walks of life. We have a huge international education program where uh, international students come to our university. And I was just exposed to so much. And I studied abroad my junior year, like I said, for a year in Dubai and that 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 flipped everything on its head. I saw people working remotely. I yeah. saw influencers for the first time. I saw people, uh, I heard 
entrepreneurship and different ideas about entrepreneurship for the first time. And I was like, oh, people living like this. I mean, there's when you start your own business, there's no ceiling to it. It's the only ceiling is your own personal like investment into it and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, that is what I want to be doing. So by the time I graduated, I knew that I wanted financial security. So I would get an engineering job, but I just wouldn't stay there forever. And that's when the real hustle began. I gave myself a timeline, like two years, girl, figure it out because we're, we're getting out. Yeah. So that trip put the dream in your heart. You graduate in what year? December, 2017. December, 2017. And then you actually do take the engineering job and you have that for a few years. It sounds like. Yep. I took the engineering job. Um, actually part of my, I guess, acceptance package for taking that job was that I had already planned a two week trip to Italy when my job was supposed to start. And I had to negotiate with them and be like, if you want me to come work for you, I'm taking this trip. And they were like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I scheduled in a trip into it immediately. And I used up all my PTO, whatever I could. Um, but yeah, I, I did that until December or no, until February, 2020. And that was my exact three year mark from when I made that promise to myself in Dubai. And I quit my job on Valentine's day in February, 2020. And I think the pandemic hit not shortly after that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So when you right now, you're a travel blogger and was this something that you, were you still, were you doing that at that time? Did you have a blog or a money, some sort of money making source independent from your job before quitting? Or did you just quit and be like, all right, I'm going to figure it out? On average. And I mean, as a creator, I mean, really as an entrepreneur, you, your income can fluctuate, especially at the beginning. Sure. You can make a thousand dollars, then you could make negative $50 yep. next month. So, uh, at that time I was making probably on average, $400 a month on average. And that was from freelance writing. That was from the occasional social media posts and stuff like that, but it was not consistent. But so that was what I was doing in uh, Dubai to be specific. So it was, it was a hobby I had on the side. It occasionally made money. It was not anything sustainable or consistent. And so when I made that promise to myself, February, 2017, I was like, I'm going to really commit to it. I'm going to do research. I'm going to invest in myself and find ways to make this more consistent. And so by the time I quit in February, 2020, I was probably making on average Fifteen hundred dollars a month, okay. Which was like, I'm like, okay, springboard. Yeah, you know, this is like forty thousand dollars a year or something. Like, that's not bad. Eighteen, so, yeah. but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In my heart, it was sixty. So right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a lot of money, especially. I mean, you're young, just like me. Especially when your expenses are low, which they tend to be when you're young. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I was when I was working as an engineer, I. Uh, that engineering job started off at 69,000. Once you took away taxes and once you took away rent and took away the uh, cost for maintenance on my car and gas for commuting two hours a day to that windowless room, um, it really wasn't that far off from maybe 18,000 that I was taking home. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that first week that you're officially on your own, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? How, what kind of plan do you have to, to build this up? And I mean, and what was that runway like, you know, how long did it take to actually start making some real money? So when I quit my engineering job, I had saved $10,000 in my savings. Like that's aside from my emergency savings, which is always like at least $3,000. And that's in case I get trapped in a country and 
my wallet stolen and I need to literally get home. Um, So I don't touch $3,000 and I had $10,000 extra savings. So that was my financial cushion um, just in case the pandemic, I mean, this for, for things like the pandemic, where in case I literally made no money, I could probably survive for a while and then get myself home. Yeah. I mean, um, it's not a super long runway, though. You got to figure it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. no. And I mean, I was super budget the first few months out of kind of scarcity mindset that sure. I wouldn't make anything. I was eating peanuts and taking apples yeah. around on my short my trips so I could just eat snacks throughout the day. This episode is sponsored by Riverside.fm. People always ask me, how do you get your podcast sounding so crisp and clean? Well, Riverside.fm is one of the best tools to get your podcast sounding super professional. It is the easiest way to record podcasts and videos in studio-grade quality from anywhere in the world, all from your browser. So it's super simple, too. And at the same time, has super advanced features like recording both audio and video locally as opposed to over the internet. So the end result is that you and your guest sound like you're in the same room. So visit riverside.fm and use my code Jordan, capital J, to get 60 minutes free recording and 15% off a membership plan. The 15% discount is applicable to yearly plans or the first three months of monthly plans. Riverside.fm, code Jordan, to get your podcast sounding crisp, clean, and professional. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, and it's the Jordan Harbinger Show, which is a podcast you really should be listening to. And I know that every day someone tells you, you just have to listen to some podcasts, and you nod, and you say, sure, and then you never really listen to it. Don't let that happen here. Jordan Harbinger was actually a guest on this show. I talked to him when he was just starting out the Jordan Harbinger show. It went on to become a smash hit, like millions, millions, millions of downloads every single month. Apple named it one of its best podcasts in 2018. And two episodes that I listened to very early on that still to this day, four years later, still stick out to me. One of them is episode number 28, James Fallon, How to Spot a Psychopath. And then episode number one, Frank Abagnale, Scam Me If You Can. Frank Abagnale, if you recall, was the subject of the really great movie called Catch Me If You Can. Look, plain and simple, supporting my sponsors helps me make this show for you as best as possible. If you go and download Jordan's show... After hearing this ad, he'll continue shoveling money in our direction. So show the Jordan Harbinger Show some love. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen. Thank you for the support. If you're looking for a new podcast to add to your tool belt, your repertoire, then I've got the one for you. True Underdog with Jason Waller. Raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, and faced with becoming a father in his teens, Jason is literally the definition of a true underdog. And today, Jason's the CEO of Power Home Solar. He's got over 2,000 employees, so obviously a breadth of business experience that we can all learn from. On the True Underdog podcast, which by the way has over 180,000 subscribers, he's interviewed Kevin O'Leary, Rick Ross, Barry Sanders. So again, if you're looking for a new podcast similar to this, because you know I don't release episodes as often as you may like me to, perhaps, 
Well, True Underdog with Jason Waller. That's a great podcast for you. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, really whatever platform you like to listen on. The one you're listening on right now. That first week after I quit, I went to the NBA All-Star Game in Chicago. So I immediately wanted a little trip, even if it was domestic, just to like, I mean, get my confidence up. And that's a huge part of this game is feeling confident and having that mindset. So I went there, had a great time. It was freezing in Chicago. It was like the coldest winter in the last five years there. And that trip really set me up for what I wanted to do, which was go to Bali the next week. Yes, that's Uh, mine right now. That's where I want to go. Yay. Well, you may know you're in a better spot than me because I had booked the trip to Bali. I had the flight. I was going to do the travel blogger thing, sit by the pool, all that stuff. And then the pandemic hit and I had to repivot. Bali locked down. You know what? And I had to decide whether I was going to be locked down in Bali or locked down at home. And my mom, psycho, she was like, you should go, go. (laughs) She's like, go be locked in Bali. You've wanted to do this forever. This is your dream. Um, you should go be locked in Bali. And I really almost did. But I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were all terrified, right? And I didn't know if I was going to get sick, my family would or something. So I stayed home. But that was a a decision I think a lot of remote workers had to make at that time. And that's something that even if the pandemic scale event doesn't happen again, I mean, things do happen. So do you stay abroad? Do you stay home? And things like that. So I I decided to stay home. And then all my all my content plans for my yeah. first year abroad, all of that was straight into the dumpster. So I really had to uh, innovate and pivot, which is what I did. So before we get to that pivot, what you did from there, I'm curious, did you, you paid for that trip? Did you lose out on the money? Oh, no. Thank God. Okay. Um, I have travel insurance and I, oh. I always make sure, even before the pandemic, I made sure to always check if you have like one week to cancel with full refund three days, like that's big with Airbnb. So I had one week to cancel with full refund. And that was Mm. the week before my flight. I had to make that decision and I did. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I know there's a lot of places that I like, I know the one that I booked for Mexico was, I I knew this going into it, but no cancellation. Like, oh, you'll get a refund on the cleaning fee if you paid one. I'm like, oh, great. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for the $100. (laughs) Right. 50, right. (laughs) So that's good. I think definitely a best practice to to book places that have a good refund policy because you never know. And then travel insurance, which we do have as well. I think think we just have it because it was like, a lot of times required nowadays with the mm-hmm. with covid that you have some sort of travel insurance to even get in to places but we went to mexico and then you know, like there was no there was no checking <laughs> at customs oh, no. or anything like that I, are you, does does anyone check for travel insurance anywhere they do countries that are wow. really strict so jordan when i went you had to show proof of travel insurance okay. when you got there and when you left other countries that locked down pretty strictly, I think Switzerland was checking at some point and things like that. But at this point in the pandemic, I, I think most of them are, are removing restrictions like that. Yeah. So what did you do after that initial trip was uh, next? Uh, yeah, I sat at home. <laughs> we, we, were all, <laughs> we were all locked down. And I, I mean, at that time... March 2020, April 2020, we we still didn't know much about the pandemic, right? Like there were no vaccines, things like that. So I was locked down um, at my mom's house in Virginia. And 
everyone was working from home. So my, it was me, my mom and my sister decided it'd be a great idea to move home too. So we're all in this two bedroom townhouse nice. and yeah, it's probably going crazy. And I decided to just pour into my platform. And I mean, having that time to sit at home and do nothing while the rest of the world does nothing, it was a weird time, but it was also a weird opportunity. I mean, it was just a space. And that's what I found. I thought if my plans were ruined for this year, everyone's plans are ruined. Publications, brands, uh, my followers, everyone's plans are ruined. So if I could just be that first voice to stand up and you know have an idea or pitch a concept or something, it's probably going to get accepted, especially by these big companies that like want to churn out stuff all the time. So that's what I did. I got into the spirit of pitching and um, talking about remote work and talking about how my journey had fallen apart and you know, everything like that. And it really, it really worked out for me to be that, that thought leader at that time. So that's how I kept my blog afloat the first year. Yeah. And then you, as far as travel plans go, you did make that happen. You know, you traveled all throughout this yeah. debacle over the last two years. And so what was like that first trip after Bali? Yeah. Not that you so, actually went there, but um, <laughs> that concept of Bali. Yeah, the concept. I was locked in. I didn't do anything travel related until I, I did a road trip, I think, to Florida with my mom and around Virginia, like local travel. And then in November of 2020, I and some friends had been talking about doing a trip. Um, and we went to Antigua and Barbuda. And that was still like, is this ethical? Like, are we good people? Like, please, I don't know how to feel. And we went and it was just, I mean, first of all, it was pretty quiet. It was pretty empty. There's not tourists like in droves. So it was pretty socially distanced. And then the locals were like, thank God you've come. Like, we're so excited to see you, please. Like, that's funny. We, yeah, we're like, they're like, thank <laughs> God. We're so excited that we want to like hang out with people. We love tourism. This is our jobs. It pays us that you come here. And so it, that was a, an eye opening experience. And so from that, I decided, okay, this first year has been not a bust because it's been, I mean, good and bad in so many ways. But that next year, 2021, I decided I would make my dreams a reality and go full time digital nomad. So, I booked a flight to Dubai first thing, January 8th. I left the U.S. with no plans of coming back. Yeah. How long were you in Antigua and Barbuda? That trip was, I think, a week. Oh, okay. A little shorter. I I got the sense that that was the case since it was with friends, it sounds like. So what was your first, was Dubai your first longish term? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what kind of (laughs) lessons, there, there were plenty of lessons learned on my first longish term trip and i'm sure there will be many more but what were some of your big lessons learned on that first long-term expedition i was very happy i had chosen some place i had been before um, yes and that i had some friends there because like i said i studied abroad uh, there and i had friends that were still there so i think if i had chosen somewhere really completely new i would have felt even more overwhelmed to get out and like yeah. find co-working spaces and make a little community while I was there and being able to have at least one friend uh, on most days where I can say, Hey, can you get lunch today? Like I'm feeling lonely or I'm trying to get this thing done. And I've been cooped up in my hotel room. Having that community was really great. So I think for our first trip, going somewhere at least somewhat familiar, or maybe that you have family living there or something is a great idea. Um, oh yeah. I think that's definitely a, a pro tip. That's what I did with Tulum. I just knew the lay of the land already. I'd been there before. Not that I didn't know anyone there, but I wasn't going to be lonely because, you know, I had someone coming with me. But 
Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah, confidence. That's what it is. Exactly. So yeah. Lessons learned. Exactly. Yeah. That first month in Dubai, I'll say, oh my God, the time difference hit me like a sack of freaking potatoes on the head. Nine hours time difference from Eastern Standard Time. So I had... I mean, as a creator, that was, I mean, that's my job, but anyone who works remotely is going to have to figure out time zones. And I had taken interviews that were at 3 p.m. Eastern time, which was my, like midnight, my time, 1 a.m. my time. That sucks. Um, It sucked. It was horrible. So watching time zones was a huge thing for me. Um, Knowing my productivity style and like how I worked best, I think being locked in to my mom, like my mom's house with my family, I had thought I worked best uh, with people around, like just like background noise and stuff like that. But really, I think now that that was like Stockholm syndrome and I had no choice Mm. to do that. So I had to figure it out. But when I was in Dubai and I had options between co-working spaces and cafes and working at home and things like that, I found best that I worked best outside in the sun um, in a public place. For me, like it would be a cafe or a rooftop cafe somewhere that's where I'm most productive. Um, so knowing that about myself, I stopped trying to force myself to sit in like, uh, we work offices where it like felt like an office space. Cause I would just go crazy and not get anything sure. done. It was a waste of time. So yeah. And time management, uh, it's tough to travel and work, you know, the beach is right there <laughs> <laughs> and friends are right there. And I could just not do emails this morning and, you know, go to the Burj Khalifa or something. And I fell right. victim to that a few times, which I mean, you should allow yourself to do because that's what freedom means, right? Is freedom of doing what, doing like living your best life. But when it comes to priorities, you have to um, really have a realistic expectation for yourself. So I would always say, I mean, for myself, I'd get up early. I'd say, okay, I'm going to work from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. every morning, do stuff I don't like, do the emails. No one else is awake anyway. And then from then on, I can craft my week based on, you know, what I want to do. But those time frames, I had to get stuff done. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those lessons. Uh, I definitely found something similar with as far as working outside, not necessarily in a cafe. I'm a little bit less social than you, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. But I worked outside all day, every day. So let's talk about as we begin to wrap up, people who want to do the travel thing that Mm -hmm. you're doing and I'm starting to do. What tips would you have for them? Let's say they have a job right now. So if you have a job right now and it is either partially or just not remote at all, I think there are a few ways you can start out. You can, number one, talk to your management, depending on the type of job you have. If you do most of your work from a laptop anyway, like I was, I was an engineer, but I was just on a laptop. I was like, I could be at home on this laptop. Um, You can talk to your management and see if they will give you a more flexible uh, work arrangement, right? I know people who work in the office, but then their job will allow them to work remotely for one month a year and they can spread out that time how they like. Um, So that's a great option. Talk to your management. Depending how amenable they are, you may want to consider finding another position in your company or a different company that is more remote work friendly. Um, And what I've seen too is people with, traditional nine to fives, they may work for a company that's remote work friendly, but that remote work may be limited to that time zone or yes. to the US in general. Um, and they won't be allowed to travel like to say Cancun or Mexico. Yeah. So keep that in mind as you, if you are looking for a position, keep that in mind. The other thing that you could do 
is um, work for yourself, like start freelancing or start um, your own business. And that's really how I started. And when I look back at it now is that I was freelancing. I was just doing the things I knew how to do best for small contract gigs. And it would be maybe a month's worth of work or a week's worth of work, but they added up to a full-time salary. So those are all things that you could start Googling or looking into or you know, reading Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. Boom. Great book. That's how really what inspired me to uh, transition into remote work was that book. Yeah. Very cool. And then on the flip side, the advice that I would give for people who are already entrepreneurs and are remote, my advice would be, what what are you waiting for? (laughs) Just book the trip already. That's it. You'll never know until you go. Yeah, it's definitely scary. (laughs) Me being fresh to it, you know, I went through that that mindset shift a little bit over a month ago, you definitely get the the jitters. It's hard to believe that you're like, Oh, we're actually doing this. And, but really a life changing experience. So many lessons, Gabby, I thank you so much for joining me today. Is there anything else that you would want to leave people with? I will say I traveled before becoming a digital nomad and loved it. And I think the privilege and ability to travel at all is is amazing and like the best things you can do in life. The taking the step to become a digital nomad has shown me so many new parts about myself and like empowered me in my business and I mean really like launched me as a person and yes. yeah, in my business in so many ways that I could not have imagined. And it's it's been the best way to make money and live the lifestyle that I want to live. So like Jordan said, if you're on the sense about it. Give yourself the grace to try it for a month. Even if you quote unquote fail, maybe you're going to learn things that will make it successful next time. And you know, you never know where it will lead you. So give it a shot. Absolutely. Well, Gabby, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been great. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Building Freedom. My only hope for this podcast, my aim is that this inspires you to build a freer, fuller life, one where you're not enslaved by a business, whether that be your business or any other business, whether you're a business owner or self-employed. The aim of this show is to help you build a freer, fuller life. And there are many ways to do that. And that's what we showcase on this show each week. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well.